0: helpful to us i want us to see that aspect of the word our subject in isaiah 40 is isaiah's introduction of the gospel isaiah announces or proclaims good news that's what gospel means it means good news good good tidings And Isaiah 40 is one complete oracle. An oracle is an utterance granted to the prophet by God in which God himself gives the words to the prophet so that the prophet actually speaks. God is speaking through the prophet. And so Isaiah 40 is a complete oracle within itself. And so to begin with, I want us to simply read it, and for that purpose, I will read from the English Standard Version that we use. So you're going to hear the prophet more than once as I go through it, because what I want to do with you is to walk through this oracle, connecting the parts. It's, it's a, a task. Hopefully it will be a good task that we will enjoy. Listen to God's word. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and announce to her that her time of forced labor is over, her iniquity has been pardoned, and she is received from the Lord's hand, that is, from Yahweh's hand, double for all her sins. A voice of one crying out, prepare the way of Yahweh in the wilderness, make a straight highway for our God in the desert. Every valley will be lifted up and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The uneven ground will become smooth and the rough places a plain and the glory of Yahweh will appear and all humanity together will see it for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. A voice was saying, cry out. Another said, what should I cry out? All humanity is grass and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of Yahweh blows on them. Indeed, the people are grass. The grass withers, the flowers fade. But the word of our God remains forever. Zion Herald of good news. Go up on a high mountain, Jerusalem. Herald of good news. Raise your voice loudly. Raise it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, sovereign Yahweh comes with strength and his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him, and his reward accompanies him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, he carries them in the fold of his garment, he gently leaves those that are nursing. Who has measured the waters of the hollow of his hand, or, or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure, or weighed the mountains on a balance of the hills on the scales? Who has directed the spirit of Yahweh or who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding or taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're considered as a speck of dust on the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. The Lebanon cedars are not enough for fuel or its animals are enough for a burnt offering. All the nations, there is nothing before him They are considered by him as empty nothingness. With whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for comparison with him? An idol? Something that a smelter cast and a metal worker plates with gold and makes silver chains for? A poor person contributes wood for a pedestal that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not fall over. Do you not know? Have you not heard... Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing and makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. They are barely planted, barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground when he blows on them and they wither. And the whirlwind carries them away like stubble. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, asked the Holy One. Look up and see, who created these? He brings out the stars by number. He calls them all by name because of his great power and strength. Not one of them is missing. Jacob, why do you say, and Israel, why do you assert, my way is hidden from Yahweh, and my claim is ignored by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the Creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to His understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youth may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in Yahweh will renew their strength. They were soar on wings like eagles. They were run and not become weary, they will walk and not faint. Thus says the Lord. The prophet, in the name of Yahweh, announces... Good news. Well, what is the good news? Here's the good news. Comfort my people speak tenderly, speak to their heart and tell them that her warfare is done. What warfare? Well, what is happening here is that Israel, Judah, is seen as coming back from the exile. Perhaps you remember when we began the section on Isaiah that we talked about the fact that Isaiah is divided into two sections. The first section of Isaiah chapters 1 through 39. This is pre-exile. Isaiah lives before Judah is taken into exile. He is a prophet sent to Judah and he proclaims that God is sending judgment to the people and that judgment will take the form of Babylon who will take the people captive, who will destroy Jerusalem. Judgment is coming. Isaiah 40 begins a second section of Isaiah. It is written from the perspective as if the exile has ended. Now, there are those who claim that Isaiah wrote one part and another Isaiah wrote a second part, but that's not necessarily to be true at all because God, who gives the prophets the insight and the visions, can certainly bridge the gap of a hundred years or even a thousand years. Isaiah speaks for God from God's perspective. And so in Isaiah 40 through the end of what we call the prophet Isaiah, he speaks as though to the people who have been judged, they have been exiled, and now they've been brought back. And it's from that perspective that this chapter God says, speak sweet, tender consolation to my people. If you've ever experienced deep grief, deep hurt and grief, then you can understand something of what the prophet is trying to say in God's name. God wants to comfort the heart of his people after they have been through tremendous suffering. It's been 70 years. That's three or four generations of children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, great-great-grandchildren. When the people are being returning, they had no remembrance of ever living in Jerusalem, for they never had. They were born in Babylon, that's the (coughs) lower modern-day Iraq. That's where they had grown up. And now they're coming back, they're coming back to their homeland, to the land that God had given their forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the land where God had made himself known, the temple had been built, and the true worship of God. Have been offered. Console my people. Speak tenderly to their heart. And this is what you need to tell them. Tell them, from the Lexham English Bible translation, that her compulsory labor is fulfilled. Her prison term is over. That's what it means. Because Babylon had been the prison house for God's people because they had violated the covenant that God had established with Israel on Mount Sinai in the days of Moses. If you can recall what had happened, God brought Israel out of Egypt. He brought them to Mount Sinai, and there he established covenant with them. They entered into this covenant with God. You will be my people, and I will be your God, You must obey these rules, these regulations. You must live in accordance with this law. And if you do, then I will bless you. And great blessings are listed. You can find them in Deuteronomy chapter 27. But if you do not keep my covenant, then judgment, curses will fall upon you. And we find those listed in Deuteronomy 28. I want you to hear the curses because this is what Babylon was all about. For hundreds of years, (laughs) Israel, the people of the Hebrews had violated the covenant with God. Primarily, they did this by idolatry, by the worship of other gods alongside Jehovah or in place of Jehovah. But they mixed constantly the true worship of God with idolatry and with the licentiousness that came with idolatry because the idolatry of the Canaanite people was very much rooted in agriculture, in sensual practices that were to help fertilize the land. This was an attraction And this is what they fell into time and time again. God said ultimately, enough. And when he said enough, the curse fell upon the land. Here is what God had said. Deuteronomy chapter 28. And you shall be plucked off the land that you are entering to take possession of it. This is Deuteronomy 28, verse 63, latter part. And Yahweh will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And there you shall serve other gods of wood and stone, which neither you nor your fathers have known. And among these nations you shall find no despite And there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot. For Yahweh will give you there a trembling heart and failing eyes and a languishing soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. Night and day you shall be in dread and have no assurance of your life. In the morning you will say, if only it were evening. And at the evening you will say, if only it were morning. Because of the dread that your heart shall feel and the sights that your eyes shall see. The curse. Now the curse has fallen upon the people more than once. But this was the first time. When Babylon came and destroyed the temple and took away the holy vessels and most of the people into Babylonian captivity, For 70 years in fulfillment of the prophecy that was given to Jeremiah and to the other prophets. It's following that first judgment, that first falling of the curse, that Isaiah speaks the gospel, the good news that we're considering. That is not the end of the curses that fall upon Israel Well, the second curse came after the appearance of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It happened in 70 AD, when Rome came to Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, scattered the peoples. Now, even before that, before Babylon even came, Israel, the northern kingdom, had been taken over by Assyria, and the people had been scattered. And so the curse falls more than once upon the Hebrew people. Why? Because of their violation of the Mosaic Covenant. Now, the Mosaic Covenant is a covenant that God entered into with Israel, no other nation. But when you enter into covenant with God, You must be careful. You must obey the covenant. You must live in accordance with the covenant. The Mosaic covenant, though God is gracious in many ways with it, was primarily a covenant of works. Well, that's the background. But now the Babylonian captivity is announced as coming to an end. And so the good news comes, comfort my people, says your God. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to the heart of Jerusalem and tell them that their time of suffering has ended. Tell them that her time of forced labor is over and her iniquity has been pardoned. She has endured the punishment that was meted by my hand. And from her perspective, she's paid double for her sins. Now, Israel did not actually pay for their sin. They justly deserve the punishment. And now the punishment is over. Think of a prisoner. He's gone to prison. He has committed a serious crime. He was committed to 25 years. The 25 years are over. He's now free. This is the beginning. You're back. I want to comfort your heart. Now, how does God go about comforting their heart? Well, here's something that's in the background. If you've been with a people that have been repeatedly violators of the covenant and have repeatedly found themselves at the receiving hand of God's punishment because of their sin... What's going to prevent God from in the future doing it again? How can I know when it's over? How can I know when real forgiveness and permanent status of acceptance has come? When can I be assured of the gospel assurance? I believe that's what Isaiah is announcing to them. So, we move from verses one and two to verse three. A voice of one crying out: "Prepare the way of Yahweh in the wilderness; make a straight highway for our God in the desert." Where do we hear these words? We hear them in Matthew. We. We hear them in Mark. We hear them in Luke. We hear them in the mouth of John the baptizer as he announces the coming of the kingdom of God in the days of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a prophecy of the coming of the Messiah. For here is the messenger that precedes the coming of the Messiah. It's John in the wilderness preparing the way of who? Yahweh. Don't, don't fail to grasp what the prophet is actually saying here. You need to look at the word itself in the Hebrew. A voice is calling in the wilderness, clear the way of Y-H-W-H. Yahweh, uh, Jehovah, Jehovah. That's the personal name of Almighty God given to Moses at the burning bush in Exodus 33. Clear the way for Yahweh. Make a highway smooth in the desert for our God every valley will be lifted, etc. The ground will be prepared for him because Yahweh is coming among his people in order to redeem them. Do you understand what he's saying? The prophet is telling us, God is telling us through the prophet that Yahweh himself will come among the people to redeem them to forgive them of their sin by taking care of it for them. And the rest of Isaiah, the prophet, will unfold this for us. The gospel is truly preached in the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 12 is a proclamation of the gospel. But here, beginning in Isaiah 40, in 42, we'll take up the chosen servant of the Lord. That's the name of the Messiah. In Isaiah 52, he continues in his ministry. In 53, he dies on behalf of his people. He's raised from the dead. The rest of Isaiah unfolds the meaning of the work of the Messiah on behalf of the people of God. Yahweh's coming among us to redeem us. Yahweh is coming in his own person, in the incarnate Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, there are distinctions between the Father and Son and the Spirit, and yet they are one God, so that when Jesus appears, the incarnate one, God Himself has appeared. He's appeared in the incarnate Messiah, our Savior. This is whom God sends himself in the person of his son. Then we move to verse 5. A voice was saying, cry out. Try to get into the, to the moment. Isaiah hearing these things. I don't know if he's seeing things, but he's definitely hearing things. A voice is saying, cry out. Another says, What should I cry? Perhaps this is Isaiah saying, What should I cry? Or maybe he just hears another voice. what shall cry out? What shall I cry? Here's the answer. All humanity is grass, and all its goodness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade when the breath of Yahweh blows on it. Indeed, the people are grass, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. Okay? Cry out. What should I cry out? Well, cry out that humanity is fragile. That humanity has no staying power. But God does. And God's word endures forever. What is the prophet saying? What God is saying is that you can bank on my word. Because I speak it, it shall come to pass. Because God's word is firm. God's word remains forever. What is that word? What word is the prophet to proclaim? Here's the word. Zion, herald of good news, Go up on a high mountain, Jerusalem, herald good news, raise your voice loudly, raise it, do not be afraid. What shall I say? What shall I cry out? Behold, your God, here is your God. That's what he's to proclaim. Say, Sovereign Yahweh comes, the King Jehovah comes with strength, and his power establishes his rule. His wages are with him. His reward accompanies him. He protects his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arm. He carries them in the fold of his garment. He gently leads those that are nursing. Here's the message. Sovereign God comes to his people to redeem them. He comes to establish his kingdom among them. This is the proclamation of the kingdom of God that John was talking about in the wilderness that Jesus talked about in his earthly ministry. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God, and he came and established that kingdom. He established it in his own person, among his own disciples at the beginning, it's here present in a spiritual form, in a mystery form, but it shall come in all of its power and glory at the consummation of the last day. God has come among us in the Messiah and he comes to rule. But what kind of ruler is he? He's a shepherd ruler. He rules like a shepherd who takes care of his sheep. He rules with tenderness. He rules with love. He rules with care. Now there's a transition in the prophetic oracle. Mm -hmm. The transition is almost a like it almost, what? All of a sudden, he's talking about God and talking about God coming to us like a shepherd, taking care of us and nursing us and caring us like little babies. But now come questions, question after question. In reality, it's almost like a a hymnic praise to God in the form of questions that God asks And that God answers. You can mark it by the expression who and he. So let's hear it. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or mocked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure, or weighed the mountains on a balance of the hills on the scale? Who has directed the spirit of Yahweh, or who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding? Who taught him the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? You know the answer? No one. Because God is the fountain of all knowledge. God is omniscient. He knows all things. God has all understanding. He is the wise one. He is omnipotent. He is the almighty God, ruler, of heaven and earth. This is God. Verse 15, look. That's a command. Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust on the scales. He, who's who? God lifts up the islands like fine dust. Here's a contrast between God, the Almighty, and the nations of the earth. You know, we, we prayed about the nations today, and they're frightening to us. Their power can be frightening to us, and when they're mobilized for war, it's frightening to us. But from God's perspective, they're like a drop in a bucket, or like a speck of dust on a weight. They have no weight They're like nothingness before God. Here's the conclusion. All the nations are as nothing before him. They're considered by him as empty nothingness. That's verse 17. I think I'm actually preaching to you from the Christian Standard Version of the ESV, but that's okay. I prefer it. Okay, here comes the question again. Verse 18. With whom will you compare God? You have you ever tried to explain God to somebody? Have you? Well, it, it's difficult, isn't it? The reason is because God is not like anybody. <laughs> we 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 grasp of words to try to explain. We, we we can legitimately speak about God in reference to humanity because we are made in God's image. But we're not God. And we're different from God, though we do bear some likeness to him. But, and then when you try to explain the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whom you find revealed in Scripture, how can you do it? It's... It's unfathomable because no one exists like God exists. Because God exists as an entity all his own, the eternal holy one who had no beginning, who has no end, who is fullness of life and fullness of love and fullness of communication within himself. With whom can you compare God? There is nothing to compare with God. That's what... He says, with whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for comparison with him? Well, there are two things people do. An idol. That's the first response. An idol. We fashion idols like creation. Humanity, animals. We fashion them. We even clothe them. We deck them we bow down before. Now the prophet speaking on God's behalf makes sort of light fun of the people. Look, here's your god. You take an idol. You take some metal and you melt it with heat. You fashion it into some kind of form. You even make silver chains for it. You contribute a piece of wood. You want to be sure that this wood will not rot and wood that will stay steady and won't fall over. You have to position the idol in a certain way so that it will stay stationary because you don't want it to fall. I mean, this is ridiculous, isn't it? You're taking the Almighty God and reducing Him to something you make with your hand. And then you fall down and worship it. This is idiocy. But that's what people do. An idol has no comparison with God. But there's a second thing we do. We look at the rulers of the earth, the princes of the earth, rulers and kings, those with authority and power that can command armies and start wars. We look at them. We point to them. Well, God's like that. No, they might be trying to imitate God, but. God is not like them. For they're just sinful human beings. God reduces princes to nothing and makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. Kings are planted and barely sown. God raises up rulers and God puts them down. It doesn't matter whether they're evil or good. Ultimately, God alone is the sovereign and he works his will in the affairs of men. Two answers people give. God's like a ruler. No, God is the ruler. God's like an idol. No, idols are the creation of man's hands. They're nothing. But God is the eternal. He's the creator. He is the creator God. who is the sovereign Lord over all nature, over all humanity, and over all the universe. Verse 25. To whom will you compare me? And who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Now, that's the true question in this oracle. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? There is no equal to God. There is no comparison to God. And so here comes God's command in verse 26. Look up and see. Look up. Now, the command is given. Verse 15, look. Look. The nations are like a drop in a bucket. Adjust your perspective. Verse here, look up. Verse 26, look up and see who created these. He brings out the stars by number. He calls them all by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Look up and see who created these God created these. Elohim, Yahweh, the eternal God, he created all the stars and planets. He created the universe. He knows him all by number and by name. It's because of his great power and strength that they exist and remain in orbits today. The prophet, God is through the prophet telling the people Adjust your perspective and your viewpoint. You're always looking at things only from your view, from the ground level of the road that you're traveling right now. You can only see a few feet in front of you and not even that clearly. You don't even see exactly what's on the right hand or the left hand or what's behind you, but God sees all of it. Adjust your perspective in life. And when you consider my forgiveness, my comfort, my removal of your sin and your pardon, remember that I can handle it forever. You have received temporary, severe punishment. Because you violated my covenant. But now that punishment is past. And I'm bringing you back to the land to bless you again. And I'm sending the Messiah to you. He will be announced by John in the wilderness. He will come. And in his coming, I will come to save you. And bring you into the great reality of the forgiveness of your sin and establishing you in my kingdom where you shall be my people. I will be your God. You shall be my people, one flock, one shepherd. This is what I shall do. Do you doubt that I can do it? Don't doubt it. I am the creator of the heavens and the earth. I made the stars. I create and I sustain the universe at my command. And yes, I'm even Lord over the affairs of man. Look up. I, the sovereign God, am your Savior. I will do what I have decreed. I will redeem you. You shall be mine. Now comes these questions. Verse 27. Jacob. That is who's Jacob? That's the people of Israel. Jacob, why do you say, in Israel? Who's Israel? That's the descendants of the 12 tribes. Why do you assert? You see, God speaks a revelation of himself. But God's people have a way of doubting God. God reveals the glory of his being and purpose, and yet God's people will say, I don't know, maybe God can't be trusted. I don't know, maybe God can't actually do it. I don't know, does God really know what's going on with me does, does God really know what I'm experiencing? Does, does God know what's in the future? Can God truly take care of me? Can God truly keep me as his own? Can God give me the strength that I need? Can God help me live for him? Can God, can God? Jacob, Israel, why do you say my way is hidden from Yahweh and my claim is ignored by God? How can you say this, people of God? It's not just Israel. Sometimes it's us. Have you ever thought these thoughts? Have you ever thought, you know, I don't don't think God really knows what's going on with me. Uh, Maybe, or have you thought, I think God's ignoring me. I I think God's really, he's, he's he's not paying attention. He must not know. How can you say that? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God. The creator of the whole earth. That is a declaration of faith. That is a confession of faith. Can you confess it with me? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. This is what God, through the prophet, wants you to know and wants you to say and wants you to live under the reality of. Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. What does this mean? Well, it means that he never becomes faint or weary, that there is no limit to his understanding, that he gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. What it means is that God is indefatigable. God is untiring. God is omnipotent and almighty God never runs out of energy. God has unlimited power and might. Who is this God who comes and brings about the reality of the gospel? Who is this God who comes in the person of Jesus Christ to redeem a people for his own namesake, who takes care of all of their sins and casts them into the ocean of forgetfulness. Who is this God that buries our sins and cleanses him with the blood of his Son? He's the everlasting God. He's the God of unlimited strength. He's the God of unfathomable mystery and of eternal life. You can trust him. You can depend on him. He never becomes faint. He never becomes weary. There's no limit to his understanding. He's inexhaustible. It's true that you can grow faint. And you can grow weary, and you can run out of energy, and you can become weak. I can testify to that. It's true that when we look to the youth, we look to the youth, because that's the prime of life, right? I say, let's make them twenty-four. Okay, there they are, muscles rippling. They can run. They can jump. They have a lot of strength and power. But it's temporary. Even a few hours of that, and they grow weary and collapse. And as they get a little older, 32, let's say, they don't have as much of the strength they did to 24. Move them on to 40. They begin to say, what, what happened to me? God, I don't like this. I can testify to this. Okay, youths may become faint and weary. We look to youth. The youth will fail you. And the youth is temporary. And the youth will pass. Young men stumble and fall. Yes, they're the strength we got, but that's a must we can do. Very temporary. But there's a different class of people. That class can have strength that endures. What's that class? It's right here. It's found in verse 31. Those who trust in (coughs) Yahweh. Those who trust in the Lord. Let me ask you that question then. In whom do you trust? Yourself? Your strength will run out. Whom do you trust? Think of the wisest, strongest, most intelligent person you know. Besides God, they're ignorant, weak, nothing. Those who trust in Yahweh. That's the class of people that God is looking for. Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. How does that happen? By looking to him. That's what he kept saying. Look. Look. Look up and see. Who created these? Yahweh, the creator of the universe. Look. Look. Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. Well, look to God, who is the creator of all things. Look, those who trust in Yahweh will renew their strength. Picture them as like eagles soaring on high. Picture yourself as the runner reaching for the gold not stumbling and not running out of energy, straining, yes, but straining to know that you will reach the goal. You'll run and not become weary. You'll walk and not faint. Why? Because you are those who trust in Yahweh. Do you trust him? He invites you to look. He invites you to remember. He invites you to consider him the omniscient, omnipotent, indefatigable God of everlasting life and light who has come among us as one of us in the person of Jesus of Nazareth who's taken care of our sin by bearing the punishment of it in his own body on the tree, who has therefore been able to grant you his forgiveness and not only grant you his forgiveness, but to give you his life, eternal life that shall never perish and to give you the gift of his spirit who shall never leave you and never forsake you. This is the God whom we trust, this is our Savior. Receive the comfort of God. Comfort, comfort my people, says my God. Tell them that their sins I pardon, and life I give them instead of death strength I give them instead of weakness and life eternal life and fullness of joy is theirs forever for it is found at my right hand in the person of the Savior Jesus Jesus Amen, Amen. Amen. I want us to respond by singing Isaiah 40 Behold my God It's based on verses 12 through 26